that being said, um, that's enough announcements. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and let's read it together. How many weeks we've been in Ephesians chapter 1 now, verses 1 through 14? Anybody? Volunteer? 24 weeks? Okay. I can handle that. Five weeks. This is week five in chapter one. Last week, we ended on verse six. This week, we'll start on verse three. We'll end on verse seven. I don't know who's counting, but this is not going fast. This is the riches of Christ. When my wife and I, we purchased a home about five years ago, and I remember when we, when we purchased that home, what that literally means is that you're borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars to live into a home and say you own. You really don't own it. Now you're, you're, you're working towards that goal. And so what you're doing is you're borrowing riches. You're receiving riches through a contract. And when we did that, there was 95 pages we had to either initial or sign in this contract. Let me tell you what, I didn't read one page, okay? I'm just like, yeah, I believe you. I believe you. it's good. You know, here's the, the riches we have received in Christ Jesus are worth reading the fine print. It's worth understanding, not the debt you're encountering, but the debt he's paid and the riches he's bestowed. And we, hmm, let's just consider, would be fools to not understand the wealth and the riches that God's given to us. And there are some Christians even here sitting tonight, you're acting like fools in contrast to what God has given you. You're, you're, you're worried about that which you don't have to be worried about. You're acting as if you don't have nothing to offer a situation with your neighbor or friend or spouse, you're, you're acting, and when I say you, I mean me, okay? Just so you guys know, I'm not being mad at you. We find ourselves, I don't know if I can endure this situation or this loneliness or this pain. Really? Really? What has Christ done for you thus far? Well, he's done a lot. Uh, he's done more than a lot. The Bible says no eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind can even imagine the things that God has in store for us, the things that God has done for us. And so as we study this, I just want you to be excited as I am. Every time I get to teach this, I think, oh my goodness, I can't even get past this. Let's try and get past it a little bit more today. Ready? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul, writing from a prison cell, can't but help talk to his people in Ephesus about what Christ has done for them because he's experienced it himself. You ever been in sales and not believed in your product? Horrible. But have you ever been in sales when you've experienced the product? And it is so good. It's actually too good to be true. And you can't help but tell other people about it. Paul in prison is like, I just got to write to the church at Colossae, to the church at Philippi, to the church at, at Rome. I got to write to, these, to the church at Galatia. He can't stop telling people about it. I used to get in a lot of trouble in downtown Ashland because I would go street witnessing all the time. It's kind of an epic center for that environment. And people would get mad at me. Why are you pushing Jesus on me? Why are you telling me this? And they'd get in fights. And I'd say, look, no one's paying me to do it. I don't have a badge on. I don't have a quota. I don't have to hand out enough magazines to get to heaven. My boss didn't tell me to. I said, the reason I'm out here is pure joy. I am actually overflowing with gratitude for what he's done. I I, it'd be foolish for me not to come out here and tell you. It'd be like I had $50 billion in my back pocket right now, and I just want to blow your mind and give you some. I just want to drop a cool million on your head. Paul's feeling that same way. And I don't know how many of us understand how good God has been, how rich we certainly are right now, that we are just waiting for God to do a little more. How many, don't raise your hand, 
But how many of you are here tonight just waiting for God to do a little bit more in your life before you get active, vocal, excited, and energetic about the things of God? Maybe if he just showed me like a really cool miracle. Man, if God would just grow me like a third leg out my back. Maybe that's not a good miracle. Maybe it's something. If God would do something powerful in my life, I'll do something. What, what a lie. And I wonder how many things that the Lord would just have us meditate on that already are there. The riches are already there. Check your account balance spiritually. And you will find yourself alleviated. You'll find yourself elevated. You'll find yourself energized for the things of God. Every single time you're down and discouraged and disappointed. Well, Paul shows that to us. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, just imitate me as I imitate Christ. You want to know what it looks like with a regular person? Do what I do. When you go to jail, write letters and encourage people, okay? When you're in trouble, don't worry about it. It's going to get even worse. When you're down, okay, look up. Here's what he says in verse 2. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Again, as Paul looked around his hotel room there in the Roman Radisson Inn, you think it was nice? This is a Roman dungeon, okay? Even the nicest place in all of Rome would kind of stink compared to our conditions today, okay? No running water, no indoor plumbing, at least not at that time, not for the normal people. And here he says, man... God's given us so much. (laughs) Somebody here tonight is waiting for God to show you more before you even start thinking this way at all. Verse 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame and before him in love, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Don't ever forget that. God wants to bless you because it makes him look like a blesser. God wants to give you good things because he is a giver and it glorifies his grace. Next time you're waiting for God to bless you when you deserve it, you're going to be waiting a long time. Okay? There's those rare moments where you do one thing right and you think you're awesome and God's going to bless you. And even by thinking God's going to bless you because you did it right, you then negate the blessing. Get this through your head. God wants to bless you because he's a blesser. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. We won't understand this until it's pounded into our head repeatedly, until we see this and exercise it individually and personally, until we then exercise it on others also. Because we think God's like us. I'm for sure going to bless you when you're blessable. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to reward you when you're rewardable. I'm going to give you good things when you've done good things for me. Do you think God acts the same way? Do you think it's the same way for you and God? It's not. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. Look at verse 7. He goes on. Here's the payment process. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him, that's a place, we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. How many of you guys trusted in Christ here tonight? Raise your hand. Be bold. Okay. You're like this, I trust him, but I don't know what he's doing. (laughs) I trust him, but I'm going to ask every single time I don't understand. Interesting. 
Interesting. Verse 11. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray and get into the preaching tonight. Father, in Jesus' name now, we have read your word. We've gathered together. We've sung songs. In a few moments, we're going to take communion. And Lord, we ask that you'd be honored in all that we do, that truly in our life circumstances right now, because each one of us are different, each one of us come from a different background, we have a different future, but Lord, each one of us have the same riches bestowed to us in Christ. We are all so blessed here tonight, and I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, as we navigate through the potholes of life, through the pitfalls around us, through the mistakes done to us, the mistakes done by us, as we do that, that Lord, the smile on our face would remain that we wouldn't freak out, we wouldn't bail out, Lord. May there be strength given to us tonight as we study your word, as we desire, Lord, to hear, to trust, to believe, and to receive the things of God. In the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fight. So, Lord, we pray, even as you have told us, that faith would come by hearing the word of God and that your word would not return void, but it would accomplish that which you've set it out to do. So bless this time we set it apart for you, ask for an anointing, for an openness, and for transformation to happen for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hattie Green uh, died in 1916. She goes down in history as the witch of Wall Street. So shrewd was she in her dealings that as she amassed her wealth and her riches, she began to live as a miser that would go down in history. As a matter of fact, Hattie Green, before she died, was actually, after she died, was actually put into the Guinness Book of World Records as the most miserable miser to ever live. I wouldn't mind being in the world's Guinness Book of Records, maybe for like the biggest beard, but not for the world's worst miser. And the way she amassed her wealth and riches at first started with an inheritance. She got $100,000 here, $200,000 there. Then she began to invest this money shrewdly, taking advantage of other people, investing this money, and she began to live frugally as well, never turning the heater on her house, heating up her own oatmeal on the radiator of another business in order that she might eat warm oatmeal, never having her clothes washed totally, just the hem of her garment was washed by her seamstress. She never even changed her undergarments, stories say, until they wore out altogether. <sighs> Anyways, you just, I paused way too long right there. Sorry about that. Hattie Green, Hattie Green. One time, one of her relatives received an inheritance that she thought was her own. So she sued that relative, hired a lawyer to defraud this particular will, go back in time and say that it was fraudulent and the money was actually hers. One time, she has been said to search her carriage for over half the night looking for a two-cent postage stamp. As a matter of fact, before she died, the way she died was she had a heart attack while arguing with one of her maids about the value of skim milk. I don't, I, I don't want to have a heart attack, but I definitely don't want to have a heart attack talking about the value of skim milk. So frugal was she in her riches that her son hurt his leg quite bad while playing with his friends. And instead of taking him to the hospital, she took him to the clinic for the poor where he wasn't given the treatment he needed in order to heal properly. And ultimately, his leg was cut off, amputated, because his mom wouldn't splurge. One time she had a hernia, $150 surgery at that time, and she just endured the pain, not wanting to spend that money on herself. When she died, she had over $200 million to her name in 1916, which would today be worth $4.5 billion dollars. Yet she died over spilled milk or skim milk. Wouldn't 
wouldn't let two cents go in her carriage. Having this riches, yet she didn't act like it. And I just wonder how much riches we have in Christ, but we're not acting like it. Freaking out over this little thing, overreacting over this other thing, worrying, wishing, wanting, when all the time God's given to us more than we could ever even try and explore on our own. Now, we've been studying the same thing for five weeks now, the riches of Christ. I've been using all kinds of illustrations, hoping for you to get this and understand and to remind yourself that in the day-to-day grind, you're more rich than you understand because of the Christ gift that you've received by faith. How many of you guys have ever been to the Grand Canyon? That's how we started this sermon five weeks ago. If you go to the Grand Canyon, man, it'll blow your mind and melt your face. They should give you buckets just to put your face in every time you see it. It's just so big and so vast. It doesn't matter where you see it from. If you've seen it once, you could still see it another time, and it'll still do wonders to you. What if you were allowed to go to the Grand Canyon, given a camera, and told you can take one photo and one photo only? Would you take that selfie? You know, would you, you, you would be in it. You know you would be in that photo. Here's the deal. The Grand Canyon, you're not allowed one. You're allowed hundreds of selfies, hundreds of photos, all different directions, because it's so rich, it's so vast, it's so grand. Even the outskirts of the Grand Canyon are amazing. And here's the deal. Paul's in prison, and I told you guys, we looked over this last week a little bit. As he looks at his church at Ephesus, he's reminded of how he met them. Remember that? He met them in the book of Acts chapter 19, just a young Paul. The gospel had been around for about 20 or 30 years, and he shows up to Ephesus. Guess who he found? Some disciples. Everyone say disciples. These are disciplined disciples, those who had heard the word, gone forward, and changed their lives. Paul met them. Yeah! And all of a sudden, he's talking with them. And something didn't ring true. It doesn't say exactly, but I imagine Paul stroked his beard and just considered it deeply. And he looked at these disciples. And he said, do you guys have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit in you? Is there... and I just wonder, I, I think about these things. What was it in their Christianese, in their vernacular, their lifestyle, their freedom or lack thereof? What was it that tipped him off to say, do you really know Jesus? Because that's a pretty pointed question. You're a disciple? Cool. Do you have Jesus? And their answer was so honest. No, we don't have the Holy Spirit. Never heard of him. Tell us more. And he told him about, he asked him a question, though. What, 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 what did you hear? What do you believe? And he said, oh, we heard the message of John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way. Straighten up. Disciple yourself. Be disciplined. Get ready for what's coming. Yet they didn't realize that Jesus had been given. Imagine that. Imagine the shock and chagrin on Paul's face. You guys are disciplined and disciples. You're even church people, but you don't have Jesus? <laughs> Let's be honest. How many churches gathered this Sunday in our country, disciplined and discipled, did not have Jesus? Okay, I'm not saying that in a boastful way. I'm not saying that in an elevated way. I'm saying that in a... Cra- you can be discipled and disciplined and have things together. Because to be disciplined and discipled means you know the rules and you're trying to keep them. How hard is it to know the rules, okay? You see blue and red lights in your rearview mirror. You know you broke the rules. It's pretty easy to learn the rules. You know, the rules are there. They're ingrained. It's pretty easy to just, man, do your best. Having Jesus, though, 
a relationship with him. So when Paul's in prison, he remembers their introductory meeting. They didn't have Jesus. And 261 times, Paul repeats this phrase, in him, in Christ, riches, in him, in the beloved, in God. And the only reason you would say something that many times is for two reasons. One is because it's very important. And number two, because we're probably going to forget it. Okay? <laughs> if you have a spouse or a friend who ever has to repeat themselves over and over and over and over again, you know what that's like. And here Paul just repeats himself over and over because he knew that they started with their walk with God wrong. Now, we just addressed a bunch of churches worldwide that gathered together, but how many Christians, individuals are here today, you're disciplined and discipled, you're, you're doing your best, you're doing better than you were, you're walking forward, but maybe that's up to you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to judge me. Maybe you're doing it without Jesus. Maybe you just, John the Baptist, I don't know. You be the judge. Because check this out. That's how this church started in Ephesus. Fast forward then prophetically to the book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. Jesus addresses the seven churches, and he gives them each a special message. And he gives the church at Ephesus their own message. You know what he says to them? Oh, you guys are so cool. He says, you guys are doing it, man. You're killing it. The whole town's being changed. You got hoodies on sale for 10 bucks. You're selling hats. Man, what church sells hats? This is cool. You got a website, three services, a killer band. Your Ustream, Facebook, you guys are, man. He says that kind of parenthetically. Parent, yeah, anyways, Revelation 2, read it. He does say this, though. But there's one thing that's caught my attention. I've noticed that you're doing all these things. You're very good at church stuff very good at church stuff, but you left your first love. You left me behind. Jesus, I'm not really this love, this relationship, this, this joy that you had from knowing me. You're very good at church. That's great. I applaud you in that. I'm not even saying stop. I'm just saying I want to go to your church. Jesus wants in. Now, I say all that to say this. This church at Ephesus, Paul in Rome, looks at them and says, man, you guys started without Jesus. You just missed it. And then in the end, Jesus is kind of rebuking you a little bit because you're doing church so well without him. And I wonder if some of us are like Hattie Green tonight. We, we have these riches. We have so much to give, and yet we're slighting the people around us, not even offering to help in any way, shape, or form, to be gracious, kind, and merciful, or even to experience the joy and love. Does, wouldn't that, doesn't that kind of make you just mad that this woman had such riches and didn't even enjoy it? After reading the morning paper, she would make her son go back out and sell it for a dime so she wouldn't spend money in that way. <laughs> and I just want us to consider all that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, chapter 3, should I say chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ and here's the deal you might object a little bit tonight and say you know what i'd like some blessings i'd like more in my life but the reality is the blessings are in heavenly places they are in spiritual realities they are in him he's the blessing you really are looking for today did you know that the things of this world will ultimately every single time leave you high and dry okay most of you know that yet you're still hoping for not this one this relationship will actually come back to serve me. This experience will actually finally fulfill me in the way that I'm looking for. This will actually give me the peace and the blessing that I read this. I'll tell you what, all that peace, all that blessing, all that fulfillment is in him. And it's right now and it's current and it's available. You ever put a big fat check in your account? Me neither. 
but I put checks in. I, I have put checks in my account, though. And when you put in a check in my account, for example, what they do is they hold on to the majority and they clear like $100 of it. $100 is immediate for withdrawal. You're like, $100, woo! And the rest of it they have to hold on to and make sure the funds are there. I understand, I understand. Here's the deal. Some of us act like God has given to us $100, like just a little bit, but the rest of it still has to, we have to, it has to develop. And God has already told us it's all there, the riches yeah, but I don't feel it here, and I don't see it or sense it here. And he says, that's because those aren't the riches, man. It's in him in heavenly places. Now, that being said, until you figure this out, until you choose to believe this, every time you look for it in other places, you're going to be duped. You're going to be disappointed. It's not going to take you where you thought it would. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame in him, before him in love. Knowing that God has chosen this to be his plan for you sets me at such ease. The Bible says in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is able to do above and exceedingly beyond all that we could ask or think according to his mercy. God has the ability to pull off the thing that he began in your life. Do you realize that? How many of you guys are stressing out? Don't raise your hand. Stressing out about your life and what God is doing. You want to raise your hand. I know you do. You know what I'm saying? Like, God is doing this, and you get the opportunity to rest and relax in what he's done. Let me just give you a quick story. On Thursday, or should I say Friday morning, we woke our kids up, and, and uh, we just told a bold-faced lie to them. I got three little kids. My wife and I got together, and we had this lie we conjured up together. We said, let's just lie to the kids this morning. It's going to be great. It was premeditated lying. It's okay. And uh, so we told our kids, all three of them, we said, guys, we got to go to Costco. Get your stuff. Get in the van. We're leaving. Big lie. So we got in the van. We started driving. And about two hours into this drive time, my son Noah, he's 80, realized this isn't the way to Costco. So he began to object. Hey, this isn't the way to Costco. I'm like, you're eight years old. What do you know? You know, I'm driving here. And I began to say, oh, we got some other stuff we have to do. And he began to see the downtown Portland scene. And we're pulling into downtown Portland. This is Friday, uh, right about noon. And as we're pulling in there, we finally found our hotel that we had made reservations for. And we stopped, turned around, told the kids, guys, we're actually not going to Costco. Okay, We're actually coming to this hotel. We rented a hotel. They'd never been in a hotel up until this point with a swimming pool. We're going to stay the night here. Happy Valentine's. We got two rooms. The kids thought that was cool. The parents thought that was really cool. <laughs> Two, you know, they got their, anyway, and so we got this hotel room, and they're super excited about it, and we woke up, went swimming that day, got some Portland meal downtown, the next day we woke up, went swimming again, had the continental breakfast, went for walks, got some food in the carts, and then all of a sudden, at the very uh, middle of the day, we said, we got another surprise for you. We're not just here to go swimming and stay in a hotel, which is pretty fun, but we actually have tickets to the Moda Center today to see the Monster Jam Tour, okay, Monster Truck Rally, you know, cars crashing and all stuff, everyone's excited. My wife got there eventually, you know. Happy Valentine's Day, honey. That's high-octane fuel. You smell that? It's good, you know. Anyways, we'll be fine. And uh, so we had an amazing trip. It was great. And on the journey, though, my kids had lots of questions. You know, every once in a while, some concerns about the longevity of our trip. When are we going to be there? Where are we going? How are we going to get, you know, what's, what's happening next? What's happening next? What's happening next? You ever had kids before? Such an intense experience. And my kids are asking these questions, but the question my son never asked was this. Please listen, because there's a difference. The question my son never asked was, Dad, are you aware that we have a 2000 Honda Odyssey at 16 years old with 125,000 miles on it? We're on our third transmission. Are you aware that this car might break down on the way to Portland? 
Dad, I noticed you and Mom are looking at your phones trying to yell at Siri. Do you know where you're going? <laughs> Dad, is your license and registration up to par? <laughs> he didn't ask any questions like that. Their questions were, when are we going to get there? Where are we going next? I got to go to the bathroom, <laughs> stuff like that. He never once, my, my son, my two sons and my daughter, never once challenged my ability as their dad to pull off a trip, to, to finance it, to navigate it, to make reservations, to do all the things that only a parent can do. We are like them. We look at our God and we demand answers and we offer our opinions and we wonder what's happening and we make all these suggestions. Wouldn't it be fun if we just decided to say, you know what? You're God. You're good. You're going to be faithful. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to trust you. Look at verse 4 again. It says this. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame. He's doing what he's going to do. I kind of want to just relax. I want to trust. It's so much more fun. Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel churches like ours, we're a Calvary Chapel church. He is quoted as saying eventually as the ministry began to take off and God began to pour out his spirit that he became a spectator at church. He would show up, do what he did, but he would just watch God do what God was doing. I heard that as a young pastor, and I thought, yeah, right, dude. you got to work hard and hustle and stay humble to be in the ministry. And I'm starting to realize what he's talking about, that as God begins to do what God does and as you let God drive, you just get to watch him work. We're just like the kids. We have all kinds of opinions, all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues. We need to use the bathroom. I need to use the bathroom. <sighs> God chose us. Notice in verse 4, it says that he chose us to be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, last week I told you that this is positional and that in Christ you are holy and without blame. Is that good news? Okay. How many of you guys woke up on Valentine's morning today and looked in the mirror and said, yeah, holy and without blame? <laughs> Honey, look, holy and without blame. <laughs> no, no, you didn't, you didn't wake up that, that way because you didn't feel that way. Okay. You don't look at yourself that way. He looks at you that way. It's called positional holiness because of Christ. He truly, literally looks at you like, wow, holy and blameless. What? Holy and in Christ. Now, here's the deal, though. This is positional, and it's beautiful, and it doesn't change. But there is also a practical holiness and blamelessness that God has allowed us to walk in, practically. In that, God has asked you, allowed you, and provided for you to walk sinning less and less and less. I do not believe Christians will ever be on this earth sinless. I just have never met one. I just don't, I don't see that. But I do believe that we are continuing to be sinning less and less. And we are growing more and more. And God is purifying us and changing us. And is calling us out daily on things that he wants to change in our life. It never changes until the day we meet him. And I need to say that because I believe there's a need, especially in our culture today, our justification culture, to mature and to say, yeah, Lord, I need to change. I need to deal. You've called me to holiness and blamelessness. Positionally, I'm there, yay! But I also need to be there practically. I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, the first way this works in our lives is when God calls you, there's immediate conviction. When God moves inside of you and takes over your life and you're forgiven of your sins, immediately you see the things that are in contrast to him. It's called the Ten Commandments. It's called the 685 Commandments, if you want. It's called the things that are not of God. And he shows those to you, and you begin to work on those immediate conviction. Then he begins to then lead you in what I would call progressive conviction as you're walking with the Lord. That which used to be permissible is no longer in your life profitable. It's just not, it's not helping you anymore. This attitude or this 
hobby even, or this style of music, or this habit, or this friend. It's not taking you where you want to go, and it's not this big, obvious conviction. Don't murder, don't fornicate, don't steal, don't lie, all these big ones. Okay, those are in there, just so you know. (laughs) But it's the more personal ones. It's the more progressive conviction, what I would call maybe the gray areas. Is God dealing with you in those areas, just you and him? These are areas where you can't trip out on other people and put your agenda on other folks, but it's just you and him. And it goes even so far to get on a more personal level where it's not from immediate conviction and progressive conviction, but personal conviction. Where God is taking you on a journey, just you, and he loves you so much that he wants you to enjoy him more. And for you, he's saying, I want you to put this down. For you, he's saying, I want you to pick this up. For I just love you, and I want you to maybe read the scriptures more, maybe memorize this, or maybe go into world missions, or to go into Sunday school ministry. This is what I want you to do. God's called you to holiness and blamelessness. He's given it to you up front. He's already established it. That's awesome. But he does want more for you. Do you realize that God, listen, please, God wants more for you, and the devil wants less for you. Straight up. And all of your carnal, wanton desires, all of your selfish inclinations, all of the temptations will never lead you to fulfillment and to betterment. Ever, ever, ever. You'll never be so satisfied in your sin and carnality and selfishness that you can look at God and say, ha, 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 I actually have peace without you. Trust me. It'll never happen. It'll never, ever happen. The lust of the flesh will never fulfill you. And so what God is calling you to is better than what Satan is calling you to. I'm just putting it out there. And when you realize that, you'll be more likely to set down the things of the world and to pursue the things of God. Once I realized that in my battles of sin, carnality, temptation, once I realized that this will never give me what I'm really looking for, it made it that much easier to say no. This will never take me where I want. I have a need right now. Does anyone have a need right now? Four of you? The rest of you are... That need is made to be filled by Jesus Christ himself. It's in him, believe it or not. And he fills it the best. He fills it right. He fills it without regret. He fills it full. He fills it to overflowing. He fills it so much that it reciprocates to other people. It's so insane. Well... He's given to all of us this to pursue, and he's predestined us, verse 5, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. This, again, is his idea, not yours. He has made it so that way this is what he wants to bestow upon you. As a matter of fact, when my wife and I were putting together this trip, buying tickets to the Monster Jam months in advance, doing research online, trying to find the best hotel with the best location with the pool and all the rest, we're doing all this. I, I stopped every once in a while. I thought, why are we doing this? This is crazy. They're not even going to remember this. It's going to cost way too much money. It's going to be work and stress and all. This is, this is going to be so insane. And trust me, it was all of those things it was, and more. And we just, it was for them. It, it's our pleasure. It's our goodwill to bless our kids to the best degree of our ability. It's what we want. God says, I want to bless you. And how much more of a father is he than I am? And how much more does he want to bless you and can bless you, verse 6 tells us, is to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. What God has done for you has changed everything about you. He's made you accepted in the beloved. That doesn't say that he accepts you. Don't read it that way. Wouldn't it be cool if God accepted you? Because he's nice and kind. No, no, he's actually made you acceptable. 
The word there for acceptable is highly favored and full of grace. He's actually changed you and transformed you in Christ. Now you're accepted. You're accept- you are you're made new. I remember one time I wanted to go to college in 1997, and so I filled out the application form and sent the $50 into Southern Oregon University. I was like, well, there goes 50 bucks. <laughs> if you ever go to college, it's going to cost way more than 50 bucks, just so you know. I said on the application, when I was just a homeschooled kid, GED. I couldn't go nowhere with my life. And they sent me back an applic- or a, a letter that said, you've been accepted. Wow, I've been accepted. They want me to go to college. It just made me feel so good. God here has accepted you because you're acceptable in Christ. It changes everything. Some of you still feel like you're going to get expelled. You're going to get kicked out. You're not welcome. You don't belong there. Listen, what he's saying to you and saying to me in verse 6 is that to the praise of the glory of his grace, he has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, here's the two things that God's given to us that bring him glory and that show his praise. The first thing that God gave us is the law. Now, when the law was given, it was given for one reason, and I believe one reason alone, to illustrate the glory of God. When God gave the law, 10 commandments, 3,000 people died that day. And in the Old Testament, there's 685 commandments showing to us the way to God, the way to live right, the way to do it not wrong, the way to make it to heaven by works. How many of you guys are doing great by fulfilling the law? Here's what the law illustrates. It illustrates God's glory, God's justice, God's grandeur. It does show that. But God didn't stop by just giving the law. You know what else he gave? the gospel. He gave the good news. I'm going to give you the law because I can't change who I am. I'm actually perfect, okay? If you want to be perfect and join me in heaven, here's what you do. Just just do these simple things here and join me. Anybody coming in? (laughs) Nobody's coming. Nobody can fulfill the law. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm not just going to give you the law, which does show my grace and glory, but I'm going to also give you the gospel, which illustrates then my kindness, my mercy, and my love. How am I going to be accepted by God? It is by knowing his justice and holiness, understanding it, but also by knowing his grace and mercy, which is his gift to us. Okay? God's plan, here's the deal, in the gospel is oftentimes rejected by other people because it glorifies him, not you. You figured this out yet? The gospel only glorifies God. It doesn't glorify the religious person doesn't glorify a denomination. It glorifies Jesus and him alone. So many people say, I don't have any room for that in my life. I'm trying to do my best. Your best isn't enough. As a matter of fact, he goes on to show how this was all paid for. Look at verse 7. This will be our final verse for the night. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How are we going to make this whole thing happen? How are we going to finance this trip, if you would? How are we going to get to where we need to go? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. There is no other way you can find yourself accepted in the beloved. There's no other way you can find yourself fulfilling the law. There's no other way you can find yourself understanding the gospel except in him. That being said, what in your life today haunts you? What do you think about in your life when I say, what have you done that no one else knows about? Let me put it this way. If your autobiography was read or written or shown on a screen, if people were to see everything you've ever done or thought, if it was truly to be done in truth, not even you could watch it. You would 
you'd be, it's too squeamish. Ah, oh, I forgot about that. Oh no, this gets really bad. Turn it off. Right? Okay. You, as a matter of fact, I think God in his mercy has given to us a little short-term memory. Have you thought about this? You actually can't remember all the sinful things you've ever done. You, you're, you just kind of push them out. You kind of forget. It's called PTSD. You just kind of push it out of your mind. You just kind of get rid of it because you can't handle it. In him, through his blood, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's in him that we have forgiveness. There is no other name that allows this forgiveness, this freedom, this payment. Buddha doesn't do this for you. You realize that, right? I talked to some Buddhists one time in downtown Ashland. I said, wow, you're Buddhist. That's amazing. How does that work? And they began to explain it to me. I said, well, I've got a little problem. I said, I have like ADHD, HDTV. I got all kinds of problems going on here. And I can't necessarily meditate or navigate on my navel and reach the ninth nirvana. I just, I'm not going to be able to do that. I said, is your religion only for the elitist? Is it only for the smartest and the best? Because that kind of excludes me. I'm actually not that smart or disciplined. I said, my religion, on the other hand, is for the uttermost to the guttermost. It's for anybody and everybody who would say, yeah, I got problems. I can't bail myself out. Buddha had some fun things to say, some wisdom to give. But he couldn't deliver anybody from their sins. Muhammad, Allah, Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eddy, Ron Hubbard, anybody and everybody who's ever said, follow me, I've got a way. Mm -mm. They have nothing to offer you, no good news. One time I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness at my door, going through, we were debating back and forth, and I began to ask questions and get deeper. And I said, wait a minute, are you, do, are you going to heaven? He said, no, I'm not going to heaven. I said, what? Get away from me. I actually told him, I forbid him. I said, you can't tell anybody in my neighborhood anymore what you're telling them. If you're not going to heaven, you have no good news, and I forbid you to tell anyone in my neighborhood. It was kind of funny. He's like, I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> and I, I said, it doesn't matter. Don't do it. You don't tell your message to anybody ever again because it's not good news. <laughs> you guys are never going to come over to my house. <laughs> like, don't go to his house, man. It's scary over there. He says this in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This idea of redeeming is to be bought back from, purchased, to redeem. The Bible says that if you've ever sinned, you're the slave of sin. That you find yourself having been given over to a sinful nature. Christ has come to you and he's seen you as a slave of sin. And he's bought you back and said, I'm redeeming you. Okay, I see what you've done. I see who owns you. No more. You've been redeemed through his blood. The payment for your sins has been given to you. This prevents us from having that spiritual thermometer, our relationship with the Lord. How am I doing today? How am I doing yesterday? We compare ourselves to this person or that person. That's not what Christ would intend for you and for me. We've been redeemed. Okay. By the way, it's not his love that redeemed you. It's not his wisdom that redeemed you. It's not his power that redeemed you. You know that about Jesus? It's his blood. His, he died on a cross. And when he died on the cross, he prayed this prayer. Father, help them. They know not what they do. Is that what he said? No. He didn't say help them. We don't need help. You realize that? Okay, you guys don't need help. You need full-on redemption. You know what I'm saying? You don't need just a little body work here, little advice, little adjustment. Can I just get a little loan? No. You need to be redeemed. 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Completely lost. And he went to the cross for you, and his blood was spilled in your name, and we now have redemption through his blood. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. Colossians chapter 2, check this out, actually says that there's a handwriting of requirements that's written against you. That is everything you've ever done wrong ever has been written down. And if you're in Christ, it's actually been blotted out with blood. You can't read it. The devil wants to bring it up, your receipts, show you what you've done. Look at this, look at this, remember this? 1982, remember, remember? And Jesus would look at that and say, I don't see anything. It's the, the handwriting of requirements that was written against you has been washed clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 1 says that if we sin, which we do, he has an, we have an advocate with the Father, that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, this is the gift that he has given to us in Christ. And I just wonder how many people here tonight, again, are just bummed out and burdened because when you realize this, your relationship with sin changes when you know you're redeemed. Two ways, positional and practical. Here's the three P's about sin, okay, just so you guys know. Memorize this, don't ever forget it, share it with other people. The first P is the penalty of sin. It's been dealt with on the cross of Jesus. The penalty of sin has been paid for. You will not be charged for your sin because Christ already paid your bill if you're in him. That's awesome. Not just the penalty, but the power of sin has been broken. Romans 5, 6, and 7 says that the power of sin over your life through Christ has been snapped, paralyzed, actually. Now you don't have to sin. You can say no to sin. You can repent from sin, and you can get strengthened in your righteousness in Christ. As a matter of fact, I would say it this way. Fight until you win when it comes to sin. Just keep fighting. Oh, I've been fighting for three years. Cool. Keep going. Keep going. Righteousness is right around the corner. Keep fighting. The power of sin has been broken. The penalty of sin has been paid for. And eventually, we're waiting for this, the presence of sin will be eradicated. This is not for now, but for later. The presence of sin in eternity will be no longer with us. No sin, no worry, no fear, no tear. It's going to be amazing. Until then, we fight. And here's the deal about your sin. you got to just realize this. Again, verse 4, God's called us to holiness and blamelessness. Walk in it, okay? But he's also called us to redemption. Believe it. The Bible says that if you say you don't have sin, you make God a liar. 1 John 1.10. Here's what you do with your sin. Here's your, here's your options, okay? Number one, you can deny your sin. I didn't do it. Not me. I got three kids at home, okay? <laughs> Who did this to the dog? None of us. Must have been your wife. <laughs> I think one of you, anyways, we didn't, don't deny your sin, okay? It's not helpful. It's not helpful. Uh, you can minimize your sin. You can just say, well, it's not as bad as the devil, you know, that's a good one. It's not as bad as Hitler. Hitler's way worse than me. Okay, don't do that. Okay, we minimize our sin. You can also excuse your sin. Okay, you can say, well, it's complicated. Like, I know it looks bad, but actually there's, there's a, a way and things and, and this, and it's just, it's just interesting how it all, I know it looks. And don't do that. Okay, don't do that. Uh, you can hide your sin. Just say, I hope, I, 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 no one's going to find out. Is that how sin works? Can you hide sin? It never works. It shows up some way. God is not mocked. He says you will reap what you sow. Uh, here's a, one we like to do. You can punish yourself for your sin. You sin, you feel bad, I'll, I'll pay for myself. I'll just, I'll be mad, I'll be disappointed, I'll be depressed, and I'll, I'll you know, don't do that, okay? Don't punish yourself for your sin. Um, you can blame others for your sin. Well, if they wouldn't have pushed me, I wouldn't have fallen and gotten up and pushed them back, you know? I would, we got this cycle here. Listen. You're going to sin. 
Here's what's going to change everything. Not this game, but when you just let yourself be redeemed. Truthfully. I got, I got three kids. I love them. I just use them all the time in my life to grow spiritually. And what I'm trying to teach my kids is when they blow it, because they do often, hey, guys, if you would just not minimize, not pretend, not blame, not ignore, not deny, but just own, guess what I'm going to offer you as your dad? Redemption and forgiveness so fast, because that's the rules, okay? You fess up, you own it, forgiveness and redemption, immediately, restoration and closeness, a bond, a joy, and I'm trying to, I just want them to see that. I want them to understand that grace flows like rain, and that it goes to the lowest place. And he says here in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to what? The riches of his grace. Is God rich a little or rich a lot? He's rich a lot. His grace is sufficient for your needs. I know, but I've offended him already in this area twice. I've offended him in this area already a thousand times. Okay, dare I say it this way, he can afford it. He truly can. He, the Bible says it this way. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still professional sinners, he died for us. While we were running bonkers, while we were going crazy, while we were doing as much damage as we could, Jesus was sent to the cross with our name on his hands. Check this out. How much more so now that you're in him, desiring to live right, desiring to do things well and blowing it still, how much more so is he drawn to you, impressed by you, longing to heal you? The devil wants you to believe that as you stumble, as you sin, that Christ is disappointed with you and ready to backhand you. That's not true. He says, no, no, you're redeemed fully. Come into my presence. Let me clean you. Let me cleanse you. Let me restore you. Let me take what the devil meant for evil and turn it into good. But you got to own your stuff. You got to find that redemption and that forgiveness. And you got to be the first to say, yep, cleanse me, Lord. That's why we take communion three times every Sunday. I take communion three times on Sunday. Sunday's the best day for me. <laughs> yeah, communion again. Because we celebrate what Jesus has done. Don't minimize your stuff. Don't pretend it's not bad. It is bad, but he's better than your bad. Do you understand that? It's the riches of Christ. Don't be like Hattie Green. Stingy, stoic, starving when God has given to you so much to enjoy. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, in Jesus' name now, as we've studied the gospel, we've declared your word as we've looked into it, Lord. In Jesus' name now, we pray that you would be glorified that we lord would choose to believe the things of god you said that those who have heard it and trusted and believed it received it and so jesus i pray your mercy upon the young people i love just the, the teenagers gathering here every sunday night i pray you bless them lord the gospel may they not be shoved into the stereotypes all around them wondering if they're in or they're out or if they're have enough or if they're cool may they lord be identified in Christ and say, man, this is so cool, so fun to be a youth, so fun to be alive. What a joy to have life and forgiveness of my sins, my mistakes. I'm such a knucklehead, but I've been forgiven. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. Bless those who gathered here that were struggling so hard just to figure life out, to figure out what they've done wrong or what they need to do right. Lord, may they find the riches that are in Christ tonight. Lord, we thank you for all that you've already done. 
We want to be those kids that are in the back of the van that are just choosing to say, you know what, my dad's been faithful thus far. I bet, I bet this trip's going to be awesome. I bet you God has more in store. I bet you he's going to be faithful. I bet you he has a vehicle that's going to work. I bet you he's thought things through. I'm just going to enjoy it. And I pray tonight, Lord, as we find ourselves with real pain, real hurt, real problems, that we would choose to believe our, our blessings are in heavenly places. We know so because your blood was spilled for us. Your love is guaranteed. It's been demonstrated. So now as we reflect at the table, may you be honored and may we be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you all stand with me? When you're ready to take communion, come down the center aisle and take your communion back out to the side aisle and celebrate what Jesus has done for you. There'll be people on my right and left to pray for you during this time as well.